welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Welcome to episode 123 of the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Mr. Heater. And you may think of Mr. Heater as just, uh, you know, something that covers your ice fishing needs. But if you're heading out camping in the summer and you're looking for maybe a new propane cook stove, head over to mrheater.com and uh, get geared up, get ready for the summer. All right, Sheldon, how's it going, buddy? Another intro. If the sound quality is shitty on my end, it's because we're having technical difficulties with my mic. So we're going through the old computer speakers and mic. Yay. Sweet, Um, sweet times. Mr. Heater, though, um, big news in the panoramic world. We've been kind of teaming up with Mr. Heater. And the cool thing about their website, to be honest with you, is that they got a lot of people think they're just the heater for the ice shack, but they got a bunch of stuff, like Chase said, like the cook stove. They've got a bunch of like basically propane heating systems like for even i think for like garages or construction heaters a whole bunch of stuff so check out their website but the big thing that i want to talk to you about chase mm-hmm. swellfish yeah we um big news for us it's, a, it's going to be a big game changer for us this year is that we we teamed up with swellfish on bc british columbia beautiful province of british columbia yeah teamed up with swellfish and we hooked ourselves up with uh with like a 14 foot inflatable boat which we haven't got on the water yet. We just, I'm going to ask Chase a bunch of questions here about how the setup went up with his brother, Tristan, and um, how many times they swore at each other and stuff. But the thing that I'm really looking forward to it is that it's, it's 14 feet. It's, um, it's rated for a 35 horsepower motor. We got a 20 on it. And it's kind of like the perfect mix between like an aluminum boat and a freight boat. Like, a, you know, you can put a bunch of weight in it and you don't have to worry about it like say like your traditional aluminum um lund or something right mm-hmm. yeah so we got the classic 430 which is like you said just over 14 feet and uh pretty sweet unit man we put it together for the first time it took us maybe oh man with a bunch of kid wrangling in between there probably took us about an hour to put it together and uh i mean we still got to do motor breaking and stuff like that but um pretty straightforward like uh build of the boat you know you you pretty much unpackage it comes in two nice packages that you can toss in the box of your truck if you're if you if you don't want to trailer it then you just uh unfold it put the floors in and then uh the floors have like these rails that snap in to make sure it uh has some structure there and uh after that you just start pumping it up they have some uh specific uh inflation instructions you gotta pump it up from the front to back and then back to front the way the bladder system works so it's kind of cool and then uh yeah then she's pretty much ready to rock and it's it's a pretty sturdy boat man we got the angler plus system in it and there's uh there's a bunch of storage bags that come with it there's the rod holders there's a transducer mount there's a um like uh electronics mount and uh it has like a anchor hold on it and all kinds of stuff so it's a very very sweet boat built robustly there's uh there's like double layered um it's it's double layered all over the all over the place to to give it extra durability where it needs it 
these guys obviously did a lot of research into into what uh, how they wanted to build, build these things, and uh, I'm I'm pretty pumped to get it out on the water. And uh, we were talking to them, and apparently it's it's a pretty it's like stable boat. Oh yeah, like and the thing that blows my mind, or not it doesn't really blow my mind. It makes sense to me after I actually put some thought into it. But like your traditional fourteen foot John boat, or like even your Vinos, I don't even know what they're called. Like your regular just like aluminum foot boat yeah yeah no they're usually rated from like 700 to like 900 pounds with your motor on it these things are rated for 2700 pounds so the first thing that i thought about when when like getting this boat is that trip that you guys make in the far north when you uh you know go up north of gillum to go moose hunting right and you're packing everything up on the train and then you're jumping off the train and and floating a river this thing is going to be like the ultimate riverboat for you guys up there i think because not only can you pack away all your gear in one boat you know you yeah. can it's i think it's the perfect unit you can you can build it right on site you know oh i think it's going to be amazing i mean we're going to use it for duck hunting in the fall too uh probably going to get it on the river for some cats here pretty soon if the river is too crazy um maybe like winnipeg a little bit i mean we, we have all kinds of trips planned out for it so um the cool thing about it too is it's kind of light enough that you can toss around with a couple guys and then you know throw the motor on after kind of thing so if you don't have a launch accessible you know it's still easy to to get going somewhere with that boat yeah yeah for sure and like that's the other thing too i'm going to be spending a lot of time in thompson this year this summer with um my other job so i'm thinking if i can maybe sneak that boat up there for a week or two and you know, do some, uh, do some boating around Paint Lake or Setting Lake or one of those lakes up there and, and do a little bit of fishing. That'd be, that'd be pretty deadly too. Um, but not to do the whole intro about Swellfish, we've got a pretty cool guest coming up. You might've uh, seen him in the snowmobile world. His name's Paul Thacker. Um, he rode player snowmobiles um, for his career and still doing that and doing a lot of other things too. And we kind of go through his life story and talk about, you know, from how it started to where he is today and some of the some of the fishing trips and stuff he's done along the way too so it's a really cool episode so please stay tuned for that um but we've got a couple other things to talk about and chase have you been out angling yourself yet this year i know you went uh, down to pilot mound the other day yeah i know so the pilot mound trip was just a uh is a work trip with mwf we're head down there to support the uh mound wildlife they put on like a youth fishing derby every year and they had like over 80 kids out to this derby, which was oh, awesome to see. And they luckily enough caught a sunny day here in Manitoba. For, for those of you that are listen, <laughs> listening in from Manitoba, know that uh, we've been we've been dealing with the uh, the heavy downpours here all spring, late late spring, lots of snow this winter, and uh, the rain hasn't quit yet here. So it seems like every week we're two three days worth of rain. So lucky there, and uh, but it was awesome to see all those kids out there. I I didn't wet a line. Um, the fishing was slow out there. I think they only caught about seven fish between all the kids, five or seven, I can't remember. But uh, it's still great to see, great to see all the kids out there. Lots of support from the community and really, you know, putting back into getting the roots kind of dug in deep in the, uh, in the fishing world out there. But uh, besides that, I think I got a trip planned on wednesday i'm supposed to go fly fishing but um i'm just doing some communications with my uh my buddy there dylan 
and the road might be washed out to where we want to go. So we might have to uh, re, re, either reschedule or make an alteration to where we're going to go. We were going to do some pike fishing on the fly because that's kind of something I, I've wanted to do this spring. But uh, I mean, if we can't get there, we can't get there. So uh, plan B is what it might be here coming up. But uh, what about yourself? Any opportunities to wet the line yet? Oh, yeah, I've had opportunities and just yeah, the weather and, and other things have kind of gotten in the way, some work issues, etc. Um, but yeah, last weekend, we were going to go into wet a line, but it looked like it was going to rain. Um, so I, I went out, I know in the last podcast, I said I was going to go and move some tree stands, but I actually ended up getting sick that weekend. So I went and moved some tree stands this past weekend, which was really nice to get out in the bush you know, picked a few wood ticks off myself, which I didn't think were out yet. So mm-hmm. they're out. Um, but yeah, they moved a few tree stands and, you know, did a little bit of walking around, checking out some stuff. And it's nice to be back in those woods, man. I've, uh, it was a long winter and it's nice to get back in there and check some stuff out. And I'm, or I'm, you know, when I'm out in that area of my like deer hunting grounds, I just instantly start thinking about those bucks you know like yeah yeah where are those deer gonna come from what are they you know how big are they gonna be this year you know yeah well, yeah no kidding i was uh so on my way out to pilot mound there the other day i i made a point of leaving the house about two hours earlier than i needed to and uh i spent some time kind of sniffing around another wma looking for some doing doing a little forging excuse me didn't find anything worth forging unfortunately but it's always nice to see some new country and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. Picked up a lot of wood ticks. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, that's kind of been all I've been been up to. There's some new, you know, news in the, the Canadian government side of things. I guess today there's some more gun laws coming out, which I don't know if you really want to get into it. I don't know much about it right now, but. Yeah. Know. So while well, we can give our listeners here a, a brief breakdown um, and it's like LC 21 that that's coming into effect here. And there's, there's a bunch of different uh, um, uh, parts to that law, obviously, or the, the bill that's coming through, but the big one that I guess Trudeau was kind of flexing on was the handgun freeze that's going to be coming into effect. And the they're, I think they're planning on, from what I read, Bill C-21 coming to effect for the fall of 2022 uh, for it to be in, in force. And um so the freeze on handguns is any purchasing, selling, or transferring, and obviously this is all in um, in uh, uh, response to the uh, that shooting down in the states, which was a terrible thing too. So it's going to be interesting few weeks here to see how things roll out. I mean, it's it's uh, they say there's going to be tougher tougher uh penalties for for illegal guns and stuff like that but i'll be i don't know i don't know how it's all gonna play out here i know there's gonna be a lot of pissed off people (laughs) it's it's pretty brutal like and and the first thing that comes to my mind is just like i don't know i don't know it's like it's like that question it's like we and i think in canada we have some really really good like strong gun rules gun legislation like we got to follow a lot of rules to, to be able to be a responsible gun owner. And I think that's a great thing that we have in place in Canada. And I think it's, it's a good way to do things, but 
for us to like let's say ban handguns i don't know if that's ever going to do anything and the thing that scares me as uh, an outdoors person is like well once they realize like banning the handguns didn't do anything are they going to go after the long guns and do all that other stuff because like in in reality if somebody wanted to go and harm someone with a gun and you can't get your hand on a handgun you're probably gonna get yourself a long gun right like it's just like oh god so it's almost like you can see the wave coming yeah um but i mean i i know a lot of people i'm not saying i know a lot of bad people but i know people that can get their hands on guns whenever they want legal or illegal so it's just like sometimes it's just like well I know, I know the one guy I was talking to said he's like he's got a buddy that he said there's no problem to get an automatic firearm in Canada. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah, it's Pretty insane. Wild. It's, almost, it's like putting a band-aid on a situation where, you know, I mean, we could sit back here and say, Oh, it's mental health and it's all this other thing. Absolutely. There's probably a million factors that we can put into play here. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's just like, I don't know. It's just yeah. it's, it's one of the things that's going to lead to a lot more stupidity. Well, should we get this baby rolling? Fire it up. today's guest i'd like to introduce here you might have seen him on a snowmobile maybe in the x games maybe as a stunt double in sweden but welcome to the show paul thacker what's up fellas thanks for having me oh man we're super excited to have you on we've been uh chit-chatting through instagram social media for the last like month or so trying to get this scheduled up and we finally got it so super pumped to have you on and i don't know if you've listened to any of our podcasts before but we start them off with five burning questions which is basically it's just shooting a shit, try to get you uh, familiar with us, us familiar with you, and obviously our listeners familiar with you as well. So if you don't mind, I'd like to start off with the first burning question. Fire away. So your, I want to know, what was your first snowmobile, if you can remember the first snowmobile that you uh, rode or, or bought or 19, that was yours? 1988. Actually, well, there's, there's, there's two parts to this story. Um, I actually worked all summer and earned, made $1,300 and bought a 79 John Deere liquefier. Nice. Was I was 12, 13 years old, uh, which was entirely too much snowmobile for a 12 year old. And I proceeded to crash it on like day three. <laughs> My dad actually took the John Deere and we went down to the Polaris dealer and we got me a uh, 1988 Indy Sport. 340 nice that was actually the first sled i put legitimate miles on but the liquefier was uh was actually the first sled i owned well, right so you're gonna have to bring me up to speed on the liquefier here what it was uh was it just a power monster or what uh what was the yeah, deal with that 440 liquid they were they were wicked fast i mean like yeah like 105 mile an hour 110 mile an hour they were just it took a minute to get there, but they wound up and they were crazy fast. So it was, uh, it was entirely too much sled for my first sled, which I proceeded to jump it through the, uh, Willow, Alaska is where I grew up. I jumped it through the Willow video sign, <laughs> parking lot, which ironically I spent the entire next summer working to pay for a new video sign. So 
right. <laughs> amazing. So that yeah. John that that John Deere snowmobile that wasn't uh, twelve or thirteen hundred bucks is probably like yeah, it was like another twenty five hundred bucks. Three grand on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it was a lot of money. <laughs> That's a great sign. Um, question number two: If you had one last meal with a drink, what would you have? Uh, one last meal would probably be a uh, a fillet with my super special secret sauce my grill master sauce and my last drink would definitely be a jack and coke nice nice jack, jack and coke seems to be a very popular selection with our uh, american guests i think hey it's chase like a, like a motorsports cocktail i think oh yeah that might be a two definitely you a staple never, you can never go through the pits of any motor event not find jack Daniels. that is <laughs> um question number three uh, you've been to the X Games quite a bit. Who threw the best uh, X Games party? Monster, hands down. Yeah, just yeah. epic event or what? We're always yeah. Both summer, so summer summer X was even better yet as far as their parties. Winter X was good, but it was smaller. Oh yeah. Uh, the summer X parties back in the day when they were in LA were just all time. I mean, celebrity, you know, every action sports individual person hero celebrity i mean it was it was unbelievable but no the monster always threw killer parties still throws killer parties i just don't attend them as often anymore <laughs> right on uh it hurts the day after so yeah for like two or three days now yeah um question number four what is your favorite fish to catch uh trout nice on the fly uh yeah fly we, i center pin a bunch um, it's pretty much the only fish I fish for anymore. I grew up fishing for salmon pretty much exclusively, so I'm kind of over it. I like the I like the uh, the science behind it and the challenge of catching big trout. Right, right. Um, so I guess my last question, the five minute questions, and I actually have a sixth question that I'm gonna, it's going to be a, I'm going to call it the bonus. But the fifth question is, if you had your dream fishing trip, where would you be off to? Where would you go? What would you catch? I've done it actually. I've gone to Argentina a couple times. Um, and that's on the bucket list again, hopefully this December, uh, we fly down to almost the Southern tip of South America and fish a lake. It's called Strabo, Stro, Strobo Lago is the name. They call it Jurassic Lake because they get 20, 25 pound rainbow trout that are, oh, that are out, wow. not rainbow trout. They're, they're landlocked. So they're not, uh, they're not like ocean fed steelhead. So it's, uh, it's, the, the trip's amazing the people are amazing the lodge is amazing it's yeah it's pretty next level i could only imagine what a 25 pound uh rainbow trout would be like having on the end of the line like we, we get uh we have a couple good lakes up here in manitoba um we get some some pretty good and some of those uh um uh hatchery fish do get pretty big but uh geez you, you get like a a four or five pounder on the end of the line and and they're uh they're a handful man so, that's a big fish but yes so that would be that is the dream trip and fortunately i've been able to do it so hopefully we can do it again my uh my my bonus question i'm going to say you've dabbled into some uh snowmobile racing i think this is a question that i've i've always asked people that are in the snowmobile racing world but if you let, let's just say who who was the better racer tucker or blair morgan um well i never i never raced against tucker i raced with blair right and it's funny because he still doesn't believe this happened i did actually beat him one race 
way that I'm pretty sure he crashed, but that doesn't count. <laughs> and so then I watched Tucker a lot. And I, I think, you know, for, I, I would probably, I mean, it's pretty close to a tie. Both those guys are phenomenal. Um, but I would in the end probably give the edge to Blair because of the technology that he was riding. Um, right. You know, he was, he was just, you know, when the, the rev chassis, you know, he was part of that whole beginning of what we ride now and to go from what he was riding. I mean, Tucker did it too, but he was a little bit younger. Blair went like mid career swap switch to a completely different platform and still crushed it. So I, I mean, it's, it's pretty close to the tie, but that night I've, I've, I've drank beers with, with, uh, with Blair more often than Tucker. So I'd probably give him the edge there. <laughs> right on. That's it's kind of uh kind of like a small world my my cousin was a pit man for the blair morgan uh race team i think he was kind of more or less with steve taylor for for quite a bit of that and um yeah so it's kind of a small world and i was just gonna say um some people are listening are probably like oh paul thacker wonder why he's on an outdoors podcast but you do a lot of fishing and that's something that we want to talk about uh right like throughout the podcast but uh the other thing i was gonna say is like you might be our first like action or what do you call it, like extreme motorsports person but then i was just remembering that we had josh penner on in one of our first like 10 or 15 and he does quite a bit of uh, he's been to x games and stuff as well so anyways how i wanted to start this podcast is paul is i, I kind of wanted to talk about just like your your kind of your life like in your career like how it all started from what i understood you were in like a corporate world changed over to snowmobiling um and the, and if the outdoor world was involved back then or where did that all come into play, but we can start right from day one. Like how did it all get started for you? Uh, well, I mean, I, I grew up obviously in Alaska. Uh, my folks owned an air taxi service. So I grew up, you know, around hunting and fishing and, and um, did a lot of fishing as a kid, um, a young kid. And uh, you know, that was pretty much my, leisurely activity until i was old enough to drive a car and and then you know sports take over and and you know girls that type of thing chasing chasing the party um but yeah i i um i i grew up you know sufficient in the summer riding sleds in the winter and that was pretty much my life pretty till i was well like i said till i was old enough to drive a car and um and then I, I, I kind of went away from the riding and the fishing as I, I got more into hockey. And I don't know if you guys are familiar. I've, I've uh, went and I actually played a year of junior in Manitoba, a year in Montana. And then I went to college in Minnesota and then I came back to Alaska and played a little bit uh, in the minors. That didn't last very long before I, I, uh, I had a fiance at the time that thought I was silly to keep chasing the hockey dream. So I quit chasing the dream. I like to, call it my adult decision not necessarily the right decision right <laughs> that makes and sense so yeah i i you know after you know playing hockey at a high competitive level for so many years i was kind of a little bit lost and man what do i you know what do i do now and i i was uh, about the same time i had was in a men's league locker room and and uh, these guys were talking about how they were they worked for uh, Norwest Financial and they needed to hire some people and they didn't care what degree they had just so long as they had a college degree. So I was like, well, hey, I have a college degree. And um, 
so yeah, they're like, well, shit, come down and we'll have an interview. And, and, um, so I, I started, uh, you know, going to work, went to work for Welt Norwest financial. And then I'm still, you know, out at the bar too much and I'm not really spending my time very constructively. So, uh, my roommate at the time and I went down to the Polaris dealer and we bought a couple of, uh, the, I think it was the 700 XC, the late season build. And I was like, Oh, we'll just get some sleds and, you know, we'll go for some rip rips on the weekends. Anyway, that lasted about two weeks before I signed up for my first cross country race, which ironically is still to this day, the only cross country race I have ever done. Cause that beats you. No, thanks. Um, yeah. Anyway. So yeah, I kind of started these parallel careers. I started racing sleds and I was working at Wells Fargo. I changed to Wells Fargo Financial and I, uh, you know, moved up the ranks fairly quick. I had a manager position after a year and a half, had my own store. And after just to take over three years, I was actually the district manager for Alaska. I oversaw the entire state. So, um, and then I was, you know, winning all of the snow cross races locally in Alaska and decided to to head out and see how I could do with the, you know, the best in the business and um, did some, uh, I did four races the first season, ran some semi-pro and made all the finals. And uh, I think my best finish was a fifth or fourth. And um, Yeah. I, so I, yeah, I kind of had these two things happening at the same time. Well, then the, you know, the video stuff, uh, turning in hardcore was the first video that was like, Hey, we, we want to get you in the back country. And, you know, sled next was so big then and everybody's watching the videos. Everybody wants to be in a, a, a sled neck video. And, um, yeah, I kind of, I got hooked up with the turning guys and they took me out in the back country and that kind of kicked off this whole new aspect of the sled side. And that was always the part of the snow cross scene. I enjoyed the best was the the bigger the jumps, the better, as far as I was concerned. And it was no different in the backcountry. And, you know, that was, uh, God, I'm thinking 2004, maybe three. And we had, you know, going big in the backcountry world record style was just kind of starting. And the boys would build these huge jumps and guys would kind of hit them and crash a lot. And, you know, somebody would stick one out around 200 feet. And then I would show up and just like hit it. 20 times and go further every time and yeah so that kind of opened the door for the sled video and the world record stuff and um yeah shortly thereafter i got uh, in through my uh, brett mylan who was uh, my showy helmet team manager at the time he's like hey monsters looking for athletes maybe i should hook you up with these guys and i'm like yeah that'd be a great plan <laughs> <laughs> So that was when we started brainstorming the first uh, legit flat ground, you know, the way the motorcycle guys were doing it, world record attempt. And we um, set that up in Brainerd, or I'm sorry, uh, Hill City, Minnesota for that one. And yeah, it was, we had tons of snow, everything was going to be great. And then it was like 85 degrees all the week running up to the event and almost oh, all geez. the snow. You, yeah this was i think it's the sled next nine video chronicles the whole thing like we were screwed there was no snow um anyway we scrounged up enough built the landing out of dirt put you know a foot of snow on top made a run into the ramp out of snow and i was otherwise it was all just a grass landing strip and but uh, yeah we made it happen and that was kind of kicked off the that was when i i realized that i potentially could 
you know, earn a living or make money doing the sled stuff. Like was you know making money winning and then now i got sponsors that were getting on board and paying dollars and so yeah i kind of had this these two careers that were uh, you know one was super exciting and you know the chicks loved it and i could kill me at any point or i had this one where i was making a lot of money and i didn't have to do a whole lot and had a retirement program and dental and all that stuff so i was actually going to quit riding because it got to the point where I only one career was going to, was going to work. I couldn't do both. It was getting, it was too much. It wasn't fair to my Wells Fargo team and wasn't fair to me to kind of half-ass the sled stuff. So um, yeah, I was going to, I was going to stop riding and just give the, you know, the golden fish hook we like to call it back then when you're making a ton of money and you're, you know, we'll just uh, play it out that way, ride for fun. When uh, the sled next guys called and they're like, Hey, so uh, Vin Diesel got in touch with us and they want you to, you and Chris Barant to uh, fly over to Sweden and be Vin's stunt double for a new movie he's got coming out. And I was like, oh. wow. And uh, Keegan's like, yeah, but the only kicker is you have to be gone a month. And I'm like, that's not going to work. Like, I can't just up and leave work for a month. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I basically sat down with my boss at the time at a conference and um, I'm like, Hey, this is, this is what, you know, what we have or what I have going on and what do you think? And he's like, well, one of these, one of these things has a shelf life. The other one, not so much. You can be a, you know, you can work in the finance world, you know, for the rest of your life. So he's like, yeah, you'd be crazy not to give it a shot. So I did, I quit. And, uh, yeah, Chris and I flew to Sweden, I don't know, like three weeks later, business class, like the whole huh. night. We spent almost the month in Sweden filming for Babylon 80. And uh, it was an incredible experience. In hindsight, I probably should have done more Hollywood stuff because, man, they spend a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt that. No joke, man. It is impressive how much, uh, yeah, the dollar amounts that go into those things. So. Um, but yeah, after, I mean, you know, then it was world records and X games and, you know, that uh, kind of just has led me to where I am. Well, where I am today, but yeah, uh, I want to, I kind of want to rewind there just quickly because you did mention that you came to Manitoba where we're from, played a bit of hockey. So I just wanted to pick your brain. Where did, whereabouts did you play when you came up over here? I played for the Surus Elk. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, down uh, way south. But we we played in Brandon a lot, and we played on a couple of reservations that were scary. Yeah, these some of the some of the guys on the reservation they were just massive. I mean, just enormous humans. And then they'd be out smoking cigarettes between periods, and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> these guys are gnarly. Yeah, I I played a bit of hockey there and uh, played in that same same league and I, you know what we probably end up playing against each other because i think we we're close to the same age but i remember we uh our team we ended up going to one of the one of the indigenous communities and i remember we're like sitting it was in provincials actually or something i can't remember what it was we're sitting in the dressing room like man can you smell that and it's like yeah it smells like freaking 
you know, smokes and stuff. And when we opened up the door and looked and they're like, all their players were like right in the hallway, smoking cigarettes. And I'm like, Oh yeah. What the heck guys. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. I'd never seen anything like it. I'm like, wow, these, these guys are, these guys are legit gnarly. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, so then the other, the other thing I wanted to touch on quickly is like, I know you said like you had the opportunity to go to Sweden and do this, but like, how hard of a decision was that to make like just to lose not not say lose the security of the job because they probably had something for you to come back to but like i mean that's got to be tough i often think about you know what would i do if i quit my corporate type job and it's just like man that's a scary thought just just to think about well i, I you know i had i had some some pretty sound advice um you know john keegan from slednex was was one of them and he's like man you 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 can't you're you're never going to do it right unless you commit and you know jump in with both feet and and then my my boss mark hamlin at the time of wells fargo financial he's like man he's like so so if you you if things don't work out would you know you I, you'll always have a spot here you've done it right you've come to me and we've talked about it and um so that made it a little bit easier and that and the fact that i was I was fully confident at that point that, you know, I, I had an opportunity to, you know, I didn't think I was going to end up rich and famous by any means, which ironically I haven't, but um, I, I, I figured I could, I could, uh, you know, I could make a living and I have definitely done that. So yeah, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, it wasn't as hard as you would expect. Um, A lot of people were like, You'll be back in a year. You'll be back in two years. Well, that's been twenty years ago. So I think I, I think I made the right choice. That's yeah. awesome. When when you go to Sweden and come back to like I don't know if you went back to like your hometown or wherever you left, but you must have had a middle finger kind of flying out the window of your car truck or whatever. Hey, like being like fuck you guys. Like I I when I got back from Sweden, I went to the Mercedes dealer and I bought a SL five hundred. That was all oh. the middle that i needed that's amazing. that's awesome um i'm kind of curious too like um it's it's not like from my perspective it's not like you were you were kind of born into the the snow cross scene and brought up that way it kind of seems like you went from regular joe to doing some fun shit on your sled to now you're like holy shit like this is transitioning kind of pretty quick into something i could do for a living um what uh I don't know, just how does, how do you unpack all that? And how do you, it's just such a strange situation, I think. And, and it's like, I, I can see it kind of how it's rippled through your life now. Cause now you're talking about like this, these, this bucket list trip that you went on as well, that, or that you've done multiple trips and you're like, Oh yeah, I've, I've done my bucket list stuff. And it kind of seems like now you have that attitude going forward. Just why not do it? Well, that, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I was, if it was, you know, how I was raised or what, but I, I never have had an issue with the, if, if I think, if, if I think I can do it, I'm going to try. And if I, if I do it great, if I don't, then we'll try something else or we'll try it a different way. And I, I, you know, I, I especially watch the world today and I'm like, man, where have those people gone? Like everything is safety first you know don't risk you might get hurt you might lose your job you might you know you might fail it's like fuck that's that's part of the gig mm-hmm. like it, it it should be anyway it should be you shouldn't be afraid to to take a chance and take a leap and 
you know, have things not work out and, but damn, if they do, it's, it's, there's nothing better. So I didn't, you know, every, every, even when I was a little kid, I remember doing things that I probably shouldn't have been doing until I got caught. And then I was like, yeah, but it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best, man. I, I, what, um, like one of the, one of the now being a, a father for a few years here, it's kind of like, I, I feel the, the, that need to like protect your children, but you also got to let them be like, okay, go get hurt, but just don't like get seriously hurt. Yeah, <laughs> I mean? You got to give them that, that rope to go, go figure, learn. figure out life. Right. Go learn a lesson. Just don't make it a really gnarly lesson. Yeah. 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 So, so I, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, so then you, you, we're gonna, I don't know if we really touched on it yet. Um, but you're trying to attempt to break the world record of the longest jump. You're talking about how like you, you did the snow cross and you're like, eh, I like, I like jumping, you know? Um, and that's where you're going to get some of your bread and butter from. So like the first couple, like how many times did it take you to, to break that record? Is the record still in your name? Like, I mean, and what, what's that, that feeling like of being the only person out of thousands, millions, billions of people to have that record at one time and, and still or whatever. Right. Well, the, the jump stuff was like, at first it was just kind of bragging rights. And I just, you know, it was just that, like, I wasn't getting paid to go to the back of the jump 250 feet. So right. it's like, but if I do this, you know, maybe somebody will notice and then I can get paid. Um, and it was, it was always about, you know, the, the, the thrill of being able to do something better than everybody else is, there's, there's not much like it. So, um, you know, once, once we started doing stuff legitimately, you know, flat ground, it got a little gnarlier because, you know, there's a ramp, a whole bunch of nothing, and then a giant landing. So if you don't make it to the landing, you know, in the back country, everything's a giant tabletop. And mm -hmm. when we do it legit, it's a giant death gap. So, uh, you know, but it, it, it is, still to this day the the coolest feeling you know i mean you're talking four seconds four and a half seconds of actual like in the air hang time and it for that brief four seconds you are literally the only person on the planet doing it yeah that's wild it gives me uh butterflies in my stomach just thinking about that <laughs> well, well and, the, cr the crazy thing about that too paul is like I think about like, I, I do quite a bit of riding or I used to do quite a bit of riding too. And like, I know even just doing the normal stuff, like jumping approaches in the ditches and, you know, you get somebody's like, oh, well, how fast do you hit that? And you're like, I don't know. You just like want to hit it and make sure you, you clear it. And like, you don't want, you know what I mean? And I just like assume that people look at somebody jumping a sled over a jump, over a gap jump, whatever it may be. And be like, oh, it looks, you know, I could probably do that. But like, in reality, it's like, no, you can't. Like it takes, there's actually a, quite a bit of like, you can't tell someone, oh, you got to hit it at 60. So it's not like you're looking at your spinometer the whole time. Yeah. Well, the, the, the big jumps, there was a little more math to it. Um, we were able to, there after uh, 60 mile an hour, there's actually an equation. Well, it's not, I mean, there's, we would measure the first couple were always mine. I called it mine speed. How fast right. do you go? It's mind speed, like you just know. And um, the, the first, the first couple were were mind speed, and then we would be able to measure how fast I was going, how far I was going, and then we could start pulling the ramp back at 25, 20, 25 feet increments. And I would know how much faster I had to go on the speed board to be safe. So, right. 
Um, but yeah, it was, it, it's definitely, there's, there's no, like on a dirt bike track, like how fast do you get that off oh, third gear, just, you know, rolling on the power or second gear pinned or whatever on sleds, there's no gears. So people could never quite figure out how the hell do you know how fast to go on it? Good question. <laughs> and then, so, so you, um, you accomplished the world record. What is that? What's that number? Uh, for me, well, so Levi jump that was farther than mine on new year's in san diego the farthest i jumped was 301 and a half feet uh, wow. but i still as far as i know i'm the only guy to do it i did it you know to snow levi had an 800 i had a 600 there's some nuances but you know for all practical purposes he he has the overall distance although i do believe mine is still in guinness and the, i have the plaque to prove it on the wall so nice in fact we talked about trying to i'd like to do another one before i get too old and decrepit now that the world is doing events again maybe we'll put something yeah that's 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 cool um so you accomplished that and then what was going on with i mean you you had your your accident in uh 2010 what was going on there like um from like from what i know is that you were you're doing some practicing or whatever but is that something that you, you'll want to share with us today? Yeah, no. So, um, yeah, November of 2010, I was in um, starting to prep for X Games 2011. And uh, we were in Wisconsin at, at uh, my buddy Justin Hoyer's compound. And we've been riding for a few days. We kind of just kicked off, you know, training and just getting ready for snow. And we were riding dirt at the time with wheel skis and which was not something that was uncommon we did that quite often and yeah i i got a little uh a little squirrely on a landing basically it was just warming up and i was doing seat grabs like just super stock stuff and got a little a little loose and i i landed away from the sled a little bit and my as i came back to the handlebars my left hand slid off the bars and I hit the, I took the bar pad right square in the solar plexus in the chest and um, it knocked the wind out of me like crazy. And I'm like, holy shit, that knocked the wind out of me. So I proceeded to roll off the side of the sled and try to catch my breath. And then I just immediately knew that something wasn't right. Nobody even thought that I crashed. Like I didn't, wasn't crazy. And so we had, I had some friends that were there that were watching and they came over to the landing and, and uh, Josh is like, dude, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I can't feel my legs. And he's like, yeah, that's not funny. And I'm like, yeah, it's not funny. I can't feel my legs. Jeez. Anyway, I could immediately tell that um, that something wasn't right. So, you know, they got on the on the phone and called 911 and I, you know, got immediately life flighted to uh, Regions Hospital in home. Yeah, that's, they were like, yeah, you uh, you dislocated your T5, so it pushed it out backwards and bruised my spinal cord. So from that front impact, that's what that's what uh, damaged your spinal cord. Yeah, it pushed it out backwards. So wow. I they didn't even do surgery for a couple of days because they were trying to let the swelling go down because the it it dislocated and then almost went perfectly back into place. Yeah, so I was you know I mean just even from day one, I'm like, you know, obviously that's pretty, some pretty, uh, some pretty gnarly news to get that, you know, they don't, 
know if you'll ever be able to walk again. I'm like, well, that sucks. <laughs> and, but at the same time, part of me was like, well, dumbass, you knew, you know, that you, that this was a possibility. These were the risks that you accepted. And I was always a firm believer and still am to this day that you're never going to be as good as you can be at something if you don't accept the risk that's involved with it. And that goes for, you know, pretty much everything. So I was never really, you know, I never had a pity party. I never cried myself to sleep. I was just like, okay, well, let's prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And, um, you know, we'll start. I mean, I, I mean, I was still like days from my accident when I was trying to figure out ways to, you know, get back on a sled and to ride again and what I was, how I was going to tackle this new challenge, which is kind of how I always looked at it was, you know, I, your, your legs might not work. You're not dead. Um, so yeah, that, uh, that was kind of the beginning of the journey that I am still on to this day. Yeah. I, um, you know, just listening to your story here, um, right from the very start to, to right now is it's like, you clearly had a lot of great support, even right from mowing down that sign to like this accident in 2010, like, you know, you've always had some great support, which is clearly getting you through some of, some of the stuff. And, uh, what, what, what is that like now? Like today, like, I, I mean, I follow you, I follow Blair Morgan and a lot of other people that, you know, the sport has changed for you guys where, where you guys are strapping in and still doing what you love. Like, how does that, how has that evolved since 2010? Like, have you had a lot of part in that? Is that something that you're, you know, you like to do still? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you know, I still ride quite a bit every season. Obviously the X game side of things has kind of gone away at the moment. Um, but I actually, uh, I rode, like I went straight from, a rehab in denver colorado at craig two winter x games um where i i wanted to compete but i couldn't get the doctor i think i could have got to sign off on but my mother was not having it <laughs> but, um anyway so i went and I, I actually rode a little bit in the pits and then i did the call for the snowmobile events nice. started things but yeah so i i I rode a, a couple times in the back country with no sea or anything. And I just, you know, hopped up. It was like, obviously this isn't going to work. So I, I reached out to the Polaris engineering team and I was like, Hey, I'd like to figure out a way to build a seat to help, you know, get me back riding at a level that I'm more accustomed to. And they were all about it. They were like, yeah, let's, that sounds like a great, because they, you know, they, they have these crazy goals to come up with new crazy shit on first sleds every year. So they were, they were excited about, uh, you know, being a part of, of a project like that. So we built the first gen seat for my race sled. I'm trying to think if it was 2000, probably 2012 or 2000, the early season, 2013. Had some shocks and a seat and and now you know you're you're fully seat belted in so there's you know you you had a little bit of wiggle room as far as um you know your your margin for error with when you're able to get away from the sled now that pretty much goes away you you know you've got to be spot on and um but yeah that uh 
I, I didn't really have the greatest X games has always kind of been my nemesis. Like if something can go sideways, it will. I've been in metal contention half a dozen times and something's always gone wrong. I had a, a piece of rubber get stuck in my needle seat one year on the line, getting ready to run. I'm just random weird shit that happens. And uh, so, but it finally all came together uh, in 2016 when we, I uh, was able to, um, this was before they started separating the, the, um, uh, paras and the, the, um, amputees when we we're still racing, you know, Mike Schultz and the sit down guys were all in one class. So I did end up in 2016. I got silver behind Mike. So technically it was gold because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it was, it, it's, it's, it's a lot. I mean, it's the same, um, as far as, how you do it the articulation of the machine what it's just you're not quite as mobile um and crashing is less of an ideal option so yeah the the, the riding part so now I, I i haven't um you know done as much as far as the race side of things but i still i've got a sled built for a mountain sled and we you know i ride quite a bit every year still um, mountain sleds seats a little bit different doesn't have a seat belt because you tend to tip over quite a bit more so yeah but that said we're probably going to build one with a seat belt so i can jump it for this winter but um but yeah i mean it's not, like what goes through in your mind is the same the timing and all that stuff is the same um there's just a little bit how you get to that point's a little bit different right right yeah it's it's, it's quite amazing like um like I said, I've been following you guys. Like I've rode in the mountains and you know, like the anxiety I got when I was riding in the mountains, like, <clears throat> like, Oh man, I'm ever going to get back up this fucking Creek. And like, I could, couldn't imagine what, you know, some of the stuff you're riding in the mountains with and, um, or even just being eventually being strapped in and riding in the mountains, man, I'd like lose my top for sure. You know, <laughs> well, as long as, as long as you don't have to go sideways, it's not too bad. Um, straight up, straight up the hill. No problem. It's the yeah. side hilling for a long ways that tends to be a little bit sketch because you got to be on it, you know, to, to cross and to to stay on edge isn't super easy. But um, yeah, it's it's not a whole lot different. It's, I mean, I I teach people how to do how to learn how to power turn when we go out on the when I do the the vet rides in the backcountry and we get people that have never ridden before and I teach them how to do it sitting down first oh yeah right on. yeah counter steering and feeling how the sled works before they stand up. people tend to they overthink it and over utilize their body when they're standing up um, if you can do it sitting down then you you figure it out pretty quick yeah hmm. so it kind of like brings me into the little bit of the fishing world and that's where you kind of actually caught my attention is that um you do quite a bit of fishing with like uh an, like a tracked machine yeah right so like this is kind of kind of be like a double question because you start off on a track machine as a snowmobile you're in a track machine going fishing now but like you ever get in either on the snowmobile still or or this uh track machine to go fishing and just kind of forget about the injury and that you're in your like own own world like you just it's kind of relaxing you're fishing you know doing everything that you've always wanted to do anyways well the the track chair is a special uh action track chair that is there in uh in minnesota in fact the 
the gentleman that invented the chair is an old sled racer, ice racer. Oh, and you look, look at the bogey wheels, it looks like a skid of a, of a snow machine. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the track chair, I actually am able to get out and be completely independent. Like I load it up, unload it, go fish by myself all the time. And that's not, that's something that I didn't have before, which was, you know, obviously missing. And that's part of the, so when I first got hurt, um, I was pretty bound and determined to do everything the same as I'd done it before. And that include fishing. Cause I, I still did quite a bit of fishing, like in the, in the fall in Alaska, we've got some of the best trout fishing on the planet. So I'd still get out a few times. And anyway, so that first year after I got hurt, I went out a couple of times and it was just, it was hard. Like I couldn't do it by myself. I had to ask for help. And um, of all the things I've done in my life, asking for help is probably the most challenging. Um, I'm better about it now, but I didn't, I, I used to be stubborn as shit. Uh, so yeah, so I, I basically, yeah, I kind of just wrote it off because I'm like, ah, this is stupid. It's too hard. I'm not going to bother a bunch of people to try and lift me up and take me out and blah, blah, blah. Well, then I, I met my current wife um, in 2017, and she was always, she was an avid fly fisher, and she was always, she's like, yeah, I'm going fishing with my brother. I'm going fishing with my brother's buddies. I'm going fishing with so-and-so. And I'm like, well, shit, I want to go fishing. <laughs> and so this was, this was right. I hadn't, I hadn't actually gotten, um, didn't have my own tractor yet. I was, I had, I had worked with the company um, at X Games or through X Games and had, you know, we had, we had done some, uh, some marketing stuff and, they finally were starting to see, you know, hey, if you if you give me one of these or we, you know, purchase one at a discount or whatnot, I, I will give you a ton of social media love and they will they'll be a hit. I guarantee it. Anyway, we so we it took a while. We got to the point where where I had now gotten my own chair and my uh, my wife to be was like, Yeah, let's uh, let's figure it out. Like what we gotta do. So she was completely on board and we started basically just getting out and exploring places that we could go together, which quickly morphed into me getting and leaving her at home because she had to work and going. Home. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was, you know, obviously five or six years ago now. And now I, I mean, I will, I'll go like steelhead season. I will head down to the Kenai peninsula down to Homer and I'll spend the whole week in the hotel down there by myself and just fish every day. Um, so yeah, it's it, that the track chair is an absolute game changer as far as giving you back a little bit of the independence and the freedom that you, you know, you, I had lost for, for a long time, basically. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely an important piece of machinery. Yeah. It's going to be a good feeling to, to get that back for sure. What do you, uh, how are you fishing for steelhead? Are you tossing a spade rod around or are you? Uh, I, I'm not a, I, I run the center pin mostly just cause it's, uh, um, it's a cleaner way for me to fish. Mm -hmm. 
on a filament, so I don't have to I don't have to worry about line management quite as yeah. much. Um, I have a spay rod, obviously have fly rods and stuff that I do utilize occasionally. Um, I'll do dry fly stuff for trout on the small rivers, um, or when we're not camp fishing. But I just you know having a pile of of fly line in my lap is just a recipe for disaster. It's super hard to, to keep it clean. I get about every 10, you know, D loops, I get about one that actually works worth the shit because it's catching up wheels or my legs or my, yeah, yeah. Um, but there has been talk about getting like a, a line basket and stuff like that. I just haven't spent the, the center pin. I've learned to fish it pretty much every way except dry fly. Like I can run streamers and strip it and, you know, dead drift it. Nice. And I can just, and that in itself is a challenge. I don't know if you guys have fished with a center pin before, but it is, it is, uh, it's not for necessarily the faint of heart as it's, but it's a, it's a pretty challenging piece of equipment. Lash wise, are you guys, you're familiar with the center pin, I'm assuming? I'm not familiar with the center pin. I'm, I'm, uh, I do do a bit of fly fishing, but uh, unfamiliar with the center pin. Gotcha. So it's basically, it looks like a, uh, I don't have one handy. Um, it looks like an oversized fly reel, um, except it doesn't have any drag either way. It's all line management. It's all done with your hands and your fingers. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's got, uh, it's, it's basically monofilament. They call it float line. It's a little bit different. It floats a little bit longer than your standard monofilament. But um, yeah, it, it, uh, so you get really good clean drifts instead of having to mend your line. Mm-hmm. To, basically manage the reel and the line just pulls off the reel there's literally no drag oh i see yeah 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 Yeah, i'm looking at one here now yeah Yeah. they're they're a different animal um interesting yeah so i i fish that a lot um i do do some dry fly stuff with the with the fly rod we've got some really good dry fly fishing not too far away from where i'm at so um but me I'm going to ask you what's your favorite dry fly to fish. And before you say the one that's catching fish, you got to have a favorite one that you just can't Chubby, wait to toss. So Chernobyl or a, a mouse. Nice. Mousin. Yeah. I love mousin. Oh my God. It's the, yeah, we're, we're getting right into mouse season actually. So definitely looking forward to that before the, when the, you know, when the water starts or the water clears up um, before the salmon starts spawning, there's a pretty good, um, all the small rivers, the, the mouse is, is pretty killer. Nice. You know where to go and, and how to do it. But the uh, as soon as the salmon starts spawning, they hardly mess with it. So, all salmon eggs. Yeah. All, yeah. all this. Yeah. Pretty hard so, to beat that. Yeah. They, and the fish, the fish agree. So, yeah. yeah. You can, no. you can want to get into them, but. Um, yeah. No kidding. Um, what kind of uh, what kind of trout do you guys usually target up there? Uh, rainbow. Yeah. I mean, we nice. live, you know, two hours, two and a half hours from the Kenai, which is, you know, obviously world world uh, renowned trophy trout fishery. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I spend a lot of time up uh, north where I grew up. There's uh, there's several smaller. Uh, I'm trying to think like size wise, I'm not super familiar with your guys' stuff, but yeah, definitely smaller rivers that still produce big fish. Um, but you, you know, no, you don't, you mainly raft access, walk in access, yeah, like yeah. That. 
Gotcha. No kidding. Well, I, I, I'd be uh, definitely going to toss the invite out there. If you're ever through the, uh, the prairies here in Manitoba and want to get a big old channel cat on the, on the fly rod, you certainly got to stop by and give us a shout. <laughs> we'll get your, get you into some muddy water. That, uh, I've seen some of the, the catfish, fly fishing stuff on, uh, on um, the internet a little bit. It's pretty, it's pretty intense. It's not as uh, prestigious as, uh, as trout fishing in the stream or uh, steelhead fishing, but it, it's definitely a good time. Nice. Yeah, we, we go ahead. No, go ahead, Paul. Oh, I was just going to say, we, I'm pretty fortunate to live in a, a place like I do because the fishing is, I mean, any, any outdoor activity. If you, if you like the outdoors, hiking, fishing, skiing, hunting, any of that stuff, it is, it is a tough place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Alaska has always been a bucket late, um, bucket list place for me to go and visit and, or, or even the Yukon in Canada. But, um, I was actually was wondering when you talking about going on your, um, going out fishing, what are some of the things that you got to keep in mind when you're going out there on, on your, on your track? Uh, what do you call that thing again? It's tractor. A tractor. Like, is there like a certain amount of time that you can be out there? Like, are you, uh, another thing too, I guess, just thinking about it, like you must, have to think about uh like grizzlies and shit like do you do you protect yourself some way you got like yeah, swords no, I, mounted on this thing or what i carry no i carry a, a, a pistol nice. um, and uh yeah because they're you know bears are you know you don't see them very often but i do run into them occasionally and um no i mean there's i i know kind of how long i've got and and um and i usually go like any any new spot that i'm exploring i'll go I'll go with someone right. before I venture out by myself just to make sure that, you know, and, and I, I tend to make sure that I just go places where I still have cell phone service. Um, but there's a, there's a zillion places now that, that have that check all those boxes that I can, you know, I get out in pretty regularly. And it's, uh, it's funny cause I'll, I'll get these, these random Instagram messages from people and they're like, Hey man, I, you don't know me, but, follow you on social media and i saw your tracks out the other day <laughs> <laughs> far back there <laughs> uh, so uh, but yeah the the yeah in fact i use the track chair for i've been just about i mean i use it to go to the uh to the rc track now and i there's no the driver's stand doesn't have a uh have a ramp to it so I just back up to the track and back my track chair into the back of the truck. And then it stands like this version stands up. So I just stand up and drive from the back of my truck in the track chair. Nice. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. If anybody's listening, here's a couple of rattles and bangs and Paul, you're working on an RC vehicle right now. Are you not? I am. Yeah. I'm uh, I got races coming first races of the season coming up next week. So I'm finishing a couple new builds for nice. to go beat the shit out of them so <laughs> right on and so when you're you know you're talking about doing some trout fishing is there anything like any other type of fishing that you, you tend to gravitate to i know you mentioned like going down south to the, some of these big trips but anything else that's kind of uh lingering that you want to accomplish uh there's there's uh, i'd like to get down to montana in october and fish the brown trout big brown trout spawns in the when the big trout come out of the lake into the river um that's not something i've i've caught well, like two years ago, three years ago, I'd never caught a brown trout. Now I've caught 
hundreds because I go to Colorado for these, you know, snowmobile adventures and I take my rod with me every time and we go trout fishing. Nice. Um, I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to get into some big brown trout. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, none, nothing like trout fishing is just it for me i enjoy all aspects of it and times a year i can i mean i fish literally year round at spots up here that where the river doesn't freeze over so come on it's yeah it's it's awesome i think <laughs> that's, I think, that's crazy i mean we didn't i didn't put the so i have a jet boat now as well um and i've got a seat built for it that we run i haven't quite figured out like i can i can hook it up load it up launch it all by myself but i haven't quite figured out how to load it back on the trailer by myself so that might be a fun project one of these days to figure out um anyway we i think the latest the lake the the big lake that we fish um out or the fish the middle section of the kenai they call it it's a huge lake doesn't usually freeze up until end of january first part of february but it froze up the middle of december this past year Otherwise, we fish all through January in the jet boat. Really? Yeah. What? Uh, what so, what part of Alaska are you in? Uh, South Central, just outside. I, I live in Anchorage. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a couple hours south of here, but but yeah, and then uh, there's some spots depending on snow where you can you can go down and drive, and I'll you know run the track chair down to the river pretty much all year round. Wow, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah right on yeah i was just um you know i guess my my kind of my last question is like like for yourself and i mean you you've had a, a pretty cool career i mean obviously some ups and downs but what what is it like now i mean you get guys like ourselves contacting you and be like hey man come talk to us come talk to us like you must get a lot of a lot of people like you said messaging you on instagram like you're an inspiration to a lot of people not only in the motorsport world but you're still getting out there fishing i mean that's the thing that attracted us the most we wanted to hear the story we wanted to hear how you know fishing is still part of your life and how you make it like a priority right it's a passion right and same with everything else so how does that feel like as a whole to get all these people like contacting you and you know like i said you're a huge influence on a lot of people no i mean it's it's uh it's kind of a I, everything is kind of circular so you know if if i'm out doing things and it's inspiring people to get out and do things and they're letting me know that they're inspired because of me getting out and doing things and it just motivates me to continue to keep doing you know i mean obviously i i, I love all the shit that i do or i wouldn't do it um right. it because it's hard it's like it's a lot a lot more work than you you can even admit it and it even it imagine unless you you know come along for the day um but at the same time like what's the alternative like sit around at home and you know i'm, I'm already growing going gray am i going to go gray faster if i you know i'm not out you know living the best possible cliche as it is life that i can <laughs> yeah i mean it, but i it's it you know it's it is there's a there's a level of motivation for me personally when i know that i am influencing people to you know potentially you know make their lives happier better whatever you want to call it so yeah i mean i i obviously appreciate that and try to get back to everybody that um if i if i forget message me again cuz sometimes i'm but um yeah i it I, it's it's uh my mom was always uh especially when the 
the sled start stuff started taking off she'd she'd call me and she'd be like i'm just calling to make sure you're staying humble (laughs) (laughs) and uh and i I, that you know that's definitely resonated and and continues to you know be something that is important to me if i can if i can help other people you know do cool stuff or figure out i mean i get at least two or three messages about a sled seat in the wintertime a, a, a month or a week even at times they're like hey man where'd you get it how do i build super simple man we just built it in my garage yeah. um, anyway so yeah it, uh, i mean i it, it definitely motivates me and i'm appreciative of the you know to everybody that uh, that appreciates what i'm doing so yeah that's, that's amazing man it, it like i could it was very evident at the start of this podcast when you uh just first started kind of talking about how you got into the sled scene and how things were moving around for you and it's like you get you have this attitude that like i kind of said earlier to you that like you can kind of get anything done and it's definitely take it as it as it is and and uh that's the huge motivational part i think for a lot of us too like you're we're just saying you know even even myself like i look at some of the stuff that you get to that you do and i'm thinking to myself all right man you got to get your lazy ass off the couch and do something here <laughs> well you know i mean it, nobody's gonna do it for me like i i've been i'm it like i you know my wife nowadays but before there wasn't anybody i hadn't figured out and that's it's always been you know i, I look at everything as a as a bit of a challenge sometimes there's some you know feet stomping and cussing and and uh, yelling and screaming for a minute when shit goes sideways and then you're like okay you can sit here and scream and yell and nothing's going to get fixed or you can figure out how to solve the problem so Mm -hmm. um if that's one thing that i've tried to pass for people is you know every problem has a solution you just got to figure out you know what it is and um and then nobody's going to feel sorry for you like i i said it earlier that you know my legs don't work i'm not dead which is true there's people so many people that were i mean i saw it in the hospital immediately i'm like okay you're gonna try and feel sorry for yourself when you could be that dude Mm -hmm. like there's there's millions and millions of people that are way worse off than i am so i'm not gonna you know try and have a pity party when i am fully capable if even sometimes it is in a creative way to make shit happen so well, Paul, again, thank you very much for coming on. Unless you have any final thoughts or words, I think Chase has got his, I got mine. Um, but yeah, thanks again for coming on. I mean, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure to listen to the story, especially firsthand. And, you know, I'll probably be, when we go back and edit this, I'm probably going to listen to it over and over and over again, because there's a lot of, you know, really good insight. And like I said, inspiration behind the, behind this talk. So thanks again. And um Good luck this year. I guess the last thing I wanted to say too is, is there any, anywhere uh, people can find you? I know we found you on Instagram there, but um, like, is there anything else that you're doing or have coming up that people can uh, follow along or help out? Uh, I Like live event stuff. I don't have anything um, on the docket at the moment. Um, not till fall. So, oh, okay. Fair enough. and all my social media is all Paul Thacker 11. So it's pretty easy to track down. So why number 11? Uh, I started wearing number 11 in high school when I was playing hockey and I wanted to score one goal and one assist every game. Oh yeah. Not, not one fight, one, one assist. Uh, or like That came later. Yeah. That came later. Yeah. 
one woman, one shotgun, something like that, yeah. whatever. <laughs> one shot, one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right on. Okay, Paul. Thanks a lot. Have a have a wonderful weekend. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. looking at getting yourself a new ice auger this summer to be prepared for the ice fishing season coming up go to jiffyonice.com and check out all of their ice augers their accessories and everything else they have they've been a huge supporter of our podcast let's be a huge supporter of them that's jiffyonice.com And that's it for episode 123 of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. Big thanks to Paul Thacker for coming on again, man. What an incredible story that gentleman has. Um, anytime I'm looking for a little motivation to, you know, get off my ass or feeling sorry for myself, or whatever, head over, I head over to that dude's Instagram page and, you know, he's, uh, he's living life how he wants to live it and nothing's holding him back. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, you bet. It's um, it's one of those things I always think about when we get to do these podcasts. I feel very fortunate to be able to interview people like Paul and, and a lot of other people that we've had on. So, yeah, huge thank you to him. And uh, it, was a, it was a great podcast. But other things that are going on on this outro is that I wanted to talk about the hat that you're wearing. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a flex fit hat with some really cool font. It's like the, almost like that puffy stitch font. So it reminds me of like a retro golf hat in a way. Um, but it says panoramic outdoors check those out in our store we have black ones with orange writing and uh, white ones with blue writing so it can match your golf shirt or your fishing shirt or just your summer hat this year we also have a few other things in the store we've got some new richardson black hats with a leather patch logo which is super super nice and it's actually been kind of flying off the shelves a little bit because we've uh we've uh sent it to a few of our friends and family to kind of have first first pick on them so we have very limited numbers when they're when they hit the store next week um and other than that we've got a camo hat that's flex fit that's out now and we also have what am i missing we have one more hat don't we maybe not no we got those kids hats too so we got pink black and navy blue kids hats they've been in the store mm-hmm. for a little while but uh we really like uh kids to be sporting those this summer so check those out and then the last thing that i want to mention to you guys about the store is that we have the cutting boards that are going to be available online. I'm going to say probably in a week's time as well. They're just getting finished up right now. We had a, a pre-sale on them. So we do have very limited numbers on them. And the cool thing about it is I think they're they're priced very well at $60. And it comes from wood that was harvested in Manitoba. And they're built by a local Manitoban um, woodworker. So anybody that's from Manitoba, there's your incentive to buy one. Anyone that's not from Manitoba, there's your incentive to buy one that you have a piece <laughs> of Manitoba in your kitchen or camper or whatever. They're super great to like serve meat or use on charcuterie boards or doing that kind of stuff. We've been kind of using them for a few years that way. And uh, they're really nice to use. They're awesome and easy to clean. So check yeah. those out. They're a nice little bush size uh, cutting board as well. Like yeah. throw, it in, throw it in your cooler and away you go. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, but other than that, Chase, what's your, um, what's your favorite thing on our store right now? Or let's say let's, what's your favorite thing on our website? We got a lot of different things on there right now. 
Oh man, you know, one thing I've been rocking daily is our crew neck sweaters because I work down in my basement here and it's a few degrees cooler, which is nice, which I like. And uh, the crew neck, man, is just so comfy and it just, it works for me. It's the, yeah. probably the most comfy sweater I own. So yeah, for sure. What about yeah. you? Um, well, just, I mean, I, I love our store. We got a bunch of stuff in the store, but I really like our, our blogs, um, that we read. Like if you go to www.panoramicoutdoors.com, we, not only do we have our store where you can buy our merch, but we also have like a recipe section. Do we have a recipe section yet? If we don't, we're yep. working on it. It's in construction. Um, and then we have like a blog section where we have, I've mentioned a million times on the podcast, but I like it. It's, it's nice to see um or nice to read up on a, on a couple different things that we have on there and we're we're constantly expanding it so if anybody that's listening that wants to you know that you think that you can write up a little blog for us about maybe something you specialize in or something you're passionate in send it to us i mean like the worst thing that's going to happen is we won't put it up but i mean there's pretty good chance we will so yeah we'd like to see uh, see what you guys are up to if not we just like hearing from you anyways yeah so yeah that being said if uh if you guys like our show it goes a long way if you can give us a rating on whatever platform you're listening to leave a comment check us out on instagram facebook like our stuff look at it share it do whatever you can i mean you're listening to a podcast for free so in my mind give us a you know give us an olive branch as some might say and uh, give us a liking or a rating yep absolutely on that note thanks for listening folks we appreciate you and we hope you hit in the water this summer 